Hey everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, experts from Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journey in this growing industry, giving you some insights on the ecosystem to hopefully help you to take part in the climate change fight and benefit from the opportunities that it can also represent. The podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speaker, their perspective on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. The second part of the talk will be for all members of the community who will learn from the speakers their secret sauce on how to, sharing with you their unique expertise on various topics as fundraising, management, strategy, and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. Let's go for the show. Hi everyone, during this new episode, we are sitting down with Bergur Sikfusen, head of CO2 capture and injection at Carfix. Bergur will share his journey as a geochemist in Iceland, which has led to him becoming a cornerstone in the process of CO2 mineralization developed at Carfix. Bergur will give an overview of the carbon sequestration and storage landscape today. Then we'll be given a detailed account of the unique technology that Carfix put in place at a geothermal power plant in Iceland. The unique technology injects underground a mixture of captured CO2 and water that will turn into stones within a two-year period. Finally, we will cover the business side of Carfix, the different applications and opportunities of their proprietary process and what it will need to happen in order to scale the operations. During the second part of the talk, Bergur will share his secret sauce for the climate tech founders looking to finance their project at the initial stage. This involves using alternative external sources of funding as grants or forging partnerships with universities, as well as focusing on becoming financially independent. Finally, Bergur will share how they succeeded in getting an incredible amount of press attention, including visibility in a recent Netflix show. Bergur, welcome to the show. Hi, Bergur. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. We are super excited to have you here uh, today. So before we start, can you give us a 20-second introduction about Carfix? Hi, I'm Bergur Sigfusson. Uh, I'm a geochemist at Carfix. So Carfix is a process that accelerates and imitates nature to turn CO2 into stone. Fantastic. So let's start by the top. Um, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Uh, who's Bergur? What's your background story? Uh, and maybe anything specific that you want to share about, about you that is uh, uh, not public yet? Something that you like, you don't like? Um, I'm, I'm a geologist, uh, graduated from University of Iceland uh, almost 20 years ago. Uh, then I went to do master's in geochemistry and PhD at the University of Aberdeen in soil science, where I did uh, where I was concentrating actually on arsenic speciation and arsenic transport in groundwater. Uh, after that, I went to work with uh, Reykjavik Energy, which uh, was was fund, which funded the Carfix with uh, some universities, and I, I essentially I've been with Carfix from the start. Uh, in my free time, I do running and cycling, um, mainly. So, so that's my my story. 
Fantastic. And what was the driver to jump into the clean climate tech uh, industry from uh, from geology to uh, to the, yeah. the climate tech industry? What was your jump and really like the, the driver to say, okay, I, I really want to take part of that project? Yeah. So so essentially what, so the energy production in Iceland is mainly from renewables. I mean, we produce more or less all the heat from, from geothermal and then we have hydrothermal and geothermal producing the electricity and then some backup, you know, from diesel generators and so on. So it's, it's quite rich tradition here in Iceland to be like, to work with nature and be based on that. And that was part of the, essentially the geology training. We were of course quite aware of what was going on there. And we had, you know, experts from the geothermal industry teaching us how to build a geothermal plant. And that essentially fascinated me how, how you could really, yeah, work without over-exploiting nature and produce some electricity. And this is when, you know, so 20 years ago, sustainability was always coming more and more into, into play. And, and I thought it was a, like a, something that I would want to be a part of to, to work on this. This is, a, let's say, a low polluting uh, power production. And then at that time, when I was starting with Reykjavik Energy, this, this carplex was being established. And the idea there was to, uh, first of all, I mean, there are few aspects to the carplex. One of them is to, to capture CO2 from selected emission sources which in this case is a geothermal power plant because geothermal emits a little bit of CO2. But then, you know, the other aspect of Carplex was just to take any CO2 source and mineralize it. So, so essentially, I was there working for this power company who was, you know, backing up this project. And I was asked to take part of it on, a, let's say, from a technical point of view, just how to implement it. And I thought it was a very nice idea that even though the power plant was only polluting to a small extent, we could go towards minimizing those emissions. So that was really like a very good idea or yeah, seemed like a good idea to me. And also I was always into the, in, I had very high interest in trying to utilize the geothermal as much as possible, not only you know, producing electricity and heat, which is, in itself, okay, quite nice, but also can we do something else? Can we, so how is this, you know, this concept of geothermal, which is cascade utilization. So you always try to go into the different temperature zones and do something, but we also want to, let's say, take the base, which is in this case is CO2 and produce some value. So that was also part of this. So so what we have, what we do, for example, we, not, we don't only, inject CO2 into the ground for mineralization, but we also use small part of the CO2 to, to change the process within the geothermal plant to optimize the, the whole operation, to prevent scaling and to make sure everything is clean in the heat exchanges and so on. So, so this is something that I was always fascinated about, you know, integrating all these solutions to make better solutions, you know, better overall outcome. So before we go into the, the process of uh, carb fixing in itself, can you give us uh, an overview of the carbon sequestration or storage uh, landscape as of today? How is the, the landscape evolving? 
what needs mm. to happen to operate those changes at scale, I would say, and if there is any regulation pushing the, the sector as well. Yeah. So essentially what has happened in the past or the main in, uh, driver for injection of CO2 into the ground has been enhanced oil recovery. So you use the CO2 as a, as a working fluid or something to, to inject CO2 from, or yeah, let's say when you extract oil and gas, part of that fluid that comes up is CO2, but there is, it's not, not of value to customers. So you want to clean that away from or separate that from the other, other streams. And traditionally in the past, it has just been vented to the atmosphere, but for the last maybe 20, 30 years, always more and more of that CO2 has been re-injected into the ground. Uh, the Norwegians, for example, have been doing that in the North Sea for more than 25 years with good success uh, and permanently for the sole purpose of storage. But you can also inject this into um, reservoirs that are, uh, let's say, that have a declining performance. So you can inject CO2 to push out more oil and gas on the other end. So mm -hmm. that is, is the main operations of CCS at the moment. Of course, uh, this is not uh, this is increasing, and there are incentives, uh, especially in the US, to inject CO2 only for storage. So you can get tax incentives for that. Um, and the US has, for, for example, built quite um, nice regulations around that all. And uh, they, of course, have a long tradition of, of dealing, you know, pumping up and into the ground again for, for all these oil and gas activities. So it was, let's say, and they had the foundation for their CCS operations. So that framework is in, I think, in, in quite good shape. Um, so we are all, we are, for example, looking into how does it work to apply our technology? How do we fit into that framework? And then of course, so that's one thing, but then if we look at Europe on the other, other end, there is, there, it's, it's quite different. So there are not these extensive oil and gas operations onshore as in the US. Uh, okay, there are some, but you know, not as extensive, but usually large amounts of CO2 are not being injected onshore in Europe. They are mainly injected offshore. And in some, some countries, uh, every, every member state has the right to decide whether it's allowed or not. But for example, in some countries, it's not allowed to inject CO2 for storage, uh, storage uh, purpose on land. So that is one thing that is, um, yeah, that's the situation at the moment. But what we, for example, our technology is slightly different from the traditional CCS technology. There they are uh, injecting usually supercritical CO2 or CO2 in liquid form into the ground. So there the CO2 is injected essentially as a gas. So it has the tendency to rise up to, towards the surface. Uh, it, it, or, or let's say that it, it wants to, the density of the gas is lower than the surrounding formation. So the it wants to rise, but usually there is some cap rock that prevents it. It's the same type of cap rock that makes sure that oil and gas reservoirs stay in place. 
So the industry relies on that to make sure for the safe operations. And usually they are very safe. That's, that's not a problem. But what our technology is, does we dissolve CO2 in water before we inject or during injection. So our fluid is essentially denser than the surrounding formation. So it tends to sink rather than rise. So we don't need to rely on cap rocks. And one thing, and this is essentially the reason why, uh, one of the reasons why carbox was developed, because you cannot inject gas into the ground in Iceland because of all the fractures. The gas would just go directly up. There are no cap rocks here. So this is one of the drivers for, for developing carbox and applying it here. Uh, what this means is that we are expanding the scope of CCS in general. So we, we provide the solution to geological conditions where CCS was not considered before. Uh, so we see this as an, let's say an opportunity for, for rise of or increase in operations, while also the other type of CCS, it needs to expand as well. But we are, we are yeah, we are providing this additional solution, which we think is quite nice. And we, we see that this, we, we, we can do like, like um, so you can pair sources, like the industrial sources and the sinks. And if you add all the storage formations that are suitable for our technology to the storage solutions that are suitable for conventional CCS, you get quite nice, let's say, geographical spread across the world. Mm-hmm. So this, we think, is a very, let's say, useful thing to know because you now you have increased the suitability or, let's say, the applicability of, the, of these technologies. So... Before we, we go to, uh, to, to deep on that, can you remind to the, the audience how the mineralization of the CO2 appears? So in yeah. the process, if I understand well, uh, you guys are capturing uh, the CO2 out of the, uh, the, the uh, thermal plant right now. Um, and then you mix that with, uh, with the water and then reinject that into, uh, into, the, into the ground and uh, the mineralization happens. So if you can just give us a little bit like more detail about the, the, the process in itself um, yeah. and how long does it take to become like, uh, like stone? I mean, it's uh, uh, always fantastic to hear that uh, you can uh, capture and sequester carbon in a way forever uh, and becoming like stone as well. Uh, it's, uh, it sounds like a dream in, in this kind of a context as of today, you know? Yeah. So, so the process can be divided in, in few parts and, and you can apply CCS in few different ways. The most eco- economical way is to capture directly at source, so concentrated emission streams like industry or power plants or oil refineries or something like that. There, essentially, you just, if you apply carbfix, you compress the gas from these industries into a, like an absorption column or a scrubber. And there you have water that you also compress into the scrubber. The gas or the CO2 from the gas, it dissolves in the water. And then the water goes out of this scrubber and then it's gas charts. So it's, it's like a soda stream. 
we do this at higher pressure when you, you do your soda stream in your kitchen. So we can load more CO2 into the water. And, there, and when you do that, the water becomes acidic. Then we maintain the pressure of this water and we inject it into the ground. What happens then is that this solution or this gas-charged water, it goes into the formation and starts to react with the rocks. The rocks need to contain divalent cations like calcium, magnesium, or iron. So that is released into the water. And then the water and those cations are carried further into the reservoir. And then the conditions of the water change until these minerals, uh, you, you have reached like a, a so carbonates are formed when the conditions in the water are suitable for their formation. So you create calcite, and then you can also create some other minerals. And calcite is like, you know, one form of these, these carbonates, like you have these large limestone formations. So it's a, it's a similar mineral. And we are just creating these inside the essentially the pore space or the voids of the rocks. And this is in general how the process works. You can also do it differently. If you don't have the source and the sink at the same place, like I was describing here, you can also apply other technologies to capture the CO2 and concentrate it. And then you can transport it as liquid to a suitable storage site and that is something we are preparing to do. So we are we are start building a project where we will be able to collect CO2 from emission sources across Europe and then ship it to Iceland. And then you have that like a pure CO2 stream. You just send that to, the, to an injection well, mix it with water in the injection well, and the same processes happen like when you capture this other source. So you have the gas cells water reacting with the rocks, liberating the cations, and then forming the carbonates. This is the second way of doing things. So mm -hmm. then, you know, what you have done there, you have in, added the cost of transport. Then there is a third way you can also do. If you, and that is what we are developing with our co-workers uh, of Climeworks, there, the Climeworks has set up like direct air capture units where they capture CO2 directly from air. Then, and they, they do this with, you know, some kind of filters. Uh, when the filters have collected all the CO2, mm -hmm. they read the filters and send pure CO2 to us and be injected in the same way as before. And, we, and the whole process starts again. So this is like a... In that case, you don't, you're not reliant on an emission source and you can just put the direct air capture units when, where there is a suitable storage formation. And this, we foresee this is, of course, on the development stage, but we see this as a, something that has to be done because we have, we and our, you know, former generations, they have already emitted so much amount into the atmosphere that we need to take some of that back. So we need to 
identified the sources that are emitting now and stop them, but we also need to take care of the of the past. So just wondering like how likely uh, do you have the right carbon from uh, the right uh, rock formation uh, close to yeah. uh, in proximity of a very you know uh, high co2 um, emission yeah. plants uh, i think because yeah. that's always a challenge is to like how to minimize in the way the transportation around that yeah. and increase the efficiency uh, to really capture those gigatons uh, because we're not talking about millions of tons but really gigatons of gigatons, uh, yeah. CO2. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So essentially, the, the one of the most appropriate rock types is basalts. Basalts are the, are the rocks that are, so Iceland is essentially just a clump of, of basalt and that's also the ocean floor almost all of the ocean floor is basalt. But also, approximately 5% of the terrestrials or the land surface of Earth are basalts. You can see these, for example, in Yellowstone, there are large areas in India, Russia, there are in, in France, Massif Central, and there are, there are basalts, you know, here and there. So what we have done, we have compiled like databases and of course, people have done this in the past. So we have collected all the data. So we, we know where parcels are across the world, but we have also compiled database of, of the world's emission sources or some of, um, I mean, many of the, of the big ones. So we can, we can you know, pair them up. And then of course, if a, if a potential customer comes to us, uh, they know where their emission sources are, or if they have a single source or many, and we can look at the geology, you know, quick, we can have a quick look to see if there is any, any feasible rocks. And then if we, if we have that, we can do further analysis to see what kind of rocks there are, how will the process work, and how would you design a system to inject into the ground. But of course, we can always, you know, if there are no, no suitable rocks right next to them, we always have these other solutions of of capturing and then transporting. And that can be different distances. Mm -hmm. But essentially most countries have some basalts or, or yeah, to some so extent. To, 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 to wrap up on the, the process in itself, can you tell us mm -hmm. a bit more about like how long does it take to put like a plan no. into operation and uh, maybe how deep uh, do you need to go in yeah. terms of like uh, the sequestration? Um, mm -hmm. Would love to know yeah. a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, so the the process that we are applying, the mineralization process, this is not something that we are inventing. This is we are imitating nature. Nature does this on on a time scale of tens of thousands to millions of years to regulate the CO two in the atmosphere, and that's the, the that's the big picture. What we do, we do this at accelerated rate because we compress more CO2 into water and then everything happens faster. So you have high, more acidic fluids that react with the rocks faster and then everything happens faster. And in general, all of the, if you inject CO2 into the ground, most of it will have turned into stone within two years. So it depends on the geology and, and how it works, but this is in, in general what will happen. And what 
so so this is the let's say the process but for us to build such a system and commissioning it and so on it depends also on the complexity on what has to be done if you're only building an injection system it takes a half approximately half a year if you want to build the capture system as well the time scale increases to some extent so you can be talking about something you know yes the construction itself can take maybe one year to one and a half year but then there are other aspects that you have to take into consideration it's the legal framework in the company where you are operating and then of course the licensing and that's very important to, to work with the with the both the local authorities and governments and also the the people that live in a certain place because it is important that you do these underground operations in harmony with with the inhabitants and you know is there a is there a need for environmental impact assessment all the licensing is it is it allowed in the country and and so on and so on so so it will it will depend on the legal framework of each country. So that will essentially be the longest time barrier. It's the, mm -hmm. it's the licensing. The implementation of the technology is, is shorter. And that, uh, what is the lifetime of a plant? You guys have already an experience on that. Yeah. Can you, do you have like a maximum in terms of uh, storage that uh, in a way the ground can uh, absorb or accept? Uh, do you know anything about that? Yeah, so, so what we, well, essentially the storage capacity of, of basalts is, is huge. Uh, only in Iceland, you could, you know, Iceland is a small country, but we could eat, you know, only the storage capacity in Iceland would, ex, you know, be enough to capture easily all the emissions from, you know, from us humans. But if we, if we take it, you know, if we have put an example, what we have been doing with the power plant, we have been injecting their CO2 into the ground at approximately, so should we have been doing it for seven years into a single well, and the well performance has not decreased uh, at the, during this time. What, what actually happens is that when you inject these fluids, you dissolve small part of the rocks next to the well, so you're actually increasing its performance right next to the well, and then the the minerals or the formation of the minerals, it takes place further into the reservoir. Mm -hmm. um, what, we, what we are doing uh, over these seven years, we have calculated that we have we've used much less than 0.01% of the reservoir. So the space or the volume of the earth is simply that great that there is plenty of space. Uh, to put this into perspective, this volcanic system that we are, where we develop the, develop the technology, naturally that volcano contains approximately one gigaton of CO2 that is just, you know, naturally stored. So, and that's just one volcano. We have 30 of these in Iceland, so they contain approximately 30 gigatons, just naturally. And they are over they are you know spread over very small area of an, of a country that is very small so the storage potential in the world is huge of course some rocks are better than others like you know 
like like they say, not all basalts are created equal, but usually what we do when we are approached by customers, we we have a look at their just the let's say the regional extent, and then we try to understand the thickness of the basalt formations, and then we can do some kind of yeah estimate of the storage capacity, mm-hmm. you know, the potential. And in most cases, they exceed quite far what is, you know, to be expected, you know, the emissions from the customer. So can you tell us a bit more about the uh, economics about uh, of uh, CapFix? Like what is the, the business model? Uh, how much does it cost in average to, to build a, a plant? Uh, and what are the uh, margin expected to, uh, uh, to, 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 from the process in itself for the company? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is quite a wide question. But let's just start with the cost. So if you, uh, the cost of capture it will completely depend on the, let's say the quality of the emission source. The higher the CO2 concentration in the flue gas, the cheaper the technology will be or the capture process will be. Um, if, we, if we look at something like a geothermal plant, and this is the only, only thing we have uh, published, there the cost of applying carpex to this geothermal plant, it is less than $25 per ton. And there it, you include the capture, transport, which is in this case is very short, mm-hmm. and then the injection and monitoring. If you, if you have a, let's say, less suitable flue, flue gas, like from a steel plant or cement or something like that, you can easily expect that the capture cost can at least double from, from the geothermal. So you're talking about maybe something like 50 to $60 dollars per ton. It will completely depend on where you are and the, you know, the facilities and the, let's say the sources, you know, how much do you have to pay for water? How much do you have to pay for electricity and so on? But this could be something like a ballpark. So 50 to $60 dollars per ton for capture. Mm-hmm. And then, <coughs> sorry, for some, some industries, it will not be suitable for us to, you know, to apply carpets there. So you need some other capture technologies, but it, it's fine. I mean, there are capture technologies for, for those streams. But then when you come to the injection itself, we are looking at some costs of maybe uh, between 10 to $20 per ton maximum. If you, in some extreme cases, the cost can be as low as $1 per ton. But that is also site dependent. And this depends on how many wells you have to drill. And because, you know, you cannot just drill a, you cannot just drill a well and say, okay, I'm going to drill a well that can take 500,000 tons. You drill the well, you test it, and the, essentially the reservoir will decide the, the capacity of the well. Of course, we have our knowledge to aim for the best, you know, feed zones and reservoirs and so on. But there is always some risk of, you know, or there are some uncertainties of, yeah. of the performance. So, in general, these are the costs to this. Um, they will, of course, 
become cheaper as you go bigger, you know, with a unit, you know, economies of scale. So it is quite expensive to operate at a small geothermal power plant, like what we are doing here. We are, this is, we are only treating something like 12,000 tons of CO2 per year, which is very small. So the unit cost of a compressor there is very expensive compared to a, installing a big compressor. So that's also a factor. So what's the, the, the business model behind uh, Carefix yeah. as, of, uh, as of today? I, I heard you mentioning licensing as well. Um, yeah, yeah, can yeah. you tell us a bit yeah. about it? Yeah, so we are, we are doing quite many things. Uh, first of all, we are, of course, we are servicing this power plant, just, you know, making sure everything is okay there and we are, we are helping with the monitoring and so on. We are also constructing our own, let's say, facilities, they, which is called the Kota Terminal, where we will essentially just, with our collaborators, collect CO2, transport it to Iceland, and, in, and inject it and store it. And there we will essentially just charge the emitters for, to take care of their CO2 uh, to, to some sort. And mm. that's the other thing. But we can also uh, install, let's say, a capture plant and injection technology next to an emitter and just, uh, yes, essentially just rent or, yeah, what do you call it, license the technology to them. The costs of that is, uh, they have not been determined. We have not done this before, but this is an option for us to do. We also, we also sell just consultancy to, to uh, potential customers that, so, so we can, or we can advise them on how it's best to, to deal with their emissions, you know, and then one thing is just to, so, so you can, can say we can, first of all, of course, look at if our technology is suitable, but then we can help them to devise a, like a plan and design a system for these customers to, to build their own systems and operate their own systems. So, so there are quite many ways we can go forward, but our big emphasis at the moment is to construct our own terminal. And, and actually we are doing quite a lot of R&D still. And we are, we are always, that is our core, you know, Founding ourselves in science, and we are not, we have not finished developing the technology. So we also, I mean, it's not really a business model to rely on public funding, but we also still rely quite a lot on public funding to help us with the R&D, you know, development. So in terms of uh, timeline and, and roadmap for, for CapFix, um, um, when do you think uh, you guys will be ready to uh, scale the operation? And what I mean by scaling is to expanding in different countries uh, through the different models that you were like uh, mentioning before. Um, what is the, the, the roadmap and, and what needs to happen to, to go at, larger, at that larger scale? So, so what we are doing now, we are preparing injections in you know, pilot injections in, in Turkey, Italy, and Germany uh, on, a, on a very different scales, but all very small. So that's the first steps. 
So we are also there looking at the suitability of the rocks there. We are, all, we are essentially exploring the applicability of different rocks than basalts. That's, I mean, they're maybe not as good as basalts, but we want to see if they are any of any use. And there are also some, so, so that's the first thing. And this is essentially part of a Horizon 2020 project called Geothermal Emission Control. And it's about, you know, reducing emissions from geothermal, but it can also be, you know, you can also consider it to be applicable to other industries. So that's the first step. We are also scaling up our operations here in Iceland. So we anticipate to make this Hedlisade power plant emission free in 2025. So that will be our first scale up step. But at the same time, we are talking to potential customers on both sides of the Atlantic, if we can apply the technology there. Uh, so this is something that I would, let's say, hope and expect to happen sometime in the next five years. Um, that is more or less the time frame. I think we, the first pilots hopefully will, will start. We can start them in, in approximately two years, but I don't expect, you know, going very big that will that will happen until maybe in, in five years time and then we will be able to start to replicate what we are also doing we are also scaling up our our activities in direct air capture so we are we did a pilot there for three years with climbworks and we are now commissioning this summer as a scaled up system with both climbworks and our sister company on power and then we anticipate that we can take like another step there, maybe in, in two years, something like that, two to three years. But we, we are still, you know, preparing and developing that, how we are going to go about that. But I, I suppose maybe the steps are, you know, now we are doing what we are doing. We have like demonstrations next year in, in different companies, you know, small within these research projects. But then commercially, I think maybe in, in two years, we could start some, some piloting and then go massive in, or, yeah, scale up in four years, let's say. I think that would be a fair, fair assessment. Okay, so just a uh, last question I would like to ask you on this, uh, on this part. One is like how the community of, uh, of listener uh, could uh, help you guys help uh, Carfix. What uh, you guys need for know how we can you know contribute and help you uh, into the uh, into growing the company and growing your solution. Uh, I think uh, it's let's say there are there are different needs on uh, in in different places of the world and and so on. Uh, usually, essentially, what we you, could, you can say that we have developed, we have, of course, developed the technology here in Iceland. And we, are, we have quite good understanding on, of the legal framework here. Um, and we, we are working with the government, essentially, to, to make sure this works. What I would think is uh, quite, you know, would be quite useful, would be just to to collaborate with, with people who understand how the processes work in their countries and what can be done, you know, are there any incentives? 
uh, yeah, the licensing procedures. Of course, I know in, in Europe it is more or less the same, but there are, you know, always some, you know, we need, we need let's say, local, what do you call it? Local collaboration, you know, feet on the ground. That's, that's something that we that we are always seeking and we are looking into, you know, collaborations with people across the world for that, because we, of course, we cannot be experts on, on how countries work. We are primarily experts on how the technology works. Very good. Thank you so much for spending the time with us, uh, sharing all of those uh, insightful knowledge and uh, congratulations on all the, the, the work that you are doing with, uh, with Capfix. We are really excited to, uh, to keep uh, looking at you guys and, uh, and see how we can uh, definitely help you. Uh, thank you so much.